0: You're listening to the Coin Gamma Podcast, and I'm your host, Fritz Charles. On this podcast, we demystify the crypto space, attacking it from all angles, which include the underlying technology, the economic impact, and the cultural impact. Check us out on CoinGamma.com. More
1: money. (laughs) Yeah. More money. Blow money. Show money. Party money, side money, money, new clothes, money from that I wrote money. Hello everyone,
0: welcome to the Coin Gamma Podcast. Today, we have an illustrious guest coming all the way from Washington State, Tyler, the COO of Life ID. He's been at Life ID through the inception, ideation, and fundraising up to this current state of the initiative. He's worked at several other startups prior to joining Life ID and working in the blockchain space. And he has a real passion for the hyper change that currently exists in the blockchain ecosystem. Welcome, Tyler. And please, you know, fill fill us in on on any of your background that I might have missed.
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm really excited to be here and, uh, you know, excited to sort of chat a little bit about what we're working on and and some of my background but yeah in a a nutshell here's kind of how i got into this space um back in 2012 or so um my my dad actually had a garage bay full of these network switches okay and they were sort of cutting edge in the sense they actually had gpus in them wow and he said hey we've got all this networking gear um, there's this internet money thing called Bitcoin, and you can basically write software and do this thing called mining, and you can make money on off this all this equipment. And I said, uh, okay, um, sure. So I looked into it a little bit, and and that was really the the first intro I had to um, cryptocurrencies. And I, I have Bitcoin. to say, I have to
0: say, you're the first person I've ever talked to that whose parent, whose father or parent introduced them to crypto. It's usually the other way around. Yep. That's so yeah, cool. Yeah,
1: no, I'm, I'm a little fresh in that sense. Uh, you know, so uh, my dad, he, he actually been doing cryptography-based securities uh, since the 90s. And so, That's awesome. um, you know, when the introduction of cryptocurrency came into play, it was, you know, there was sort of a natural, oh, I get this. Um, I don't have a technical background. I have a finance background. And so I was, uh, it just wasn't on my radar, right? Um, but after that experience, I actually never ended up doing anything with it, but it was sort of a cool intro. Sure. Um, <clears throat> I was doing some work in the you know entertainment industry and the music industry, and became really aware of just the inefficiencies that exist um, within that industry. There's you know that that problem exists elsewhere, but that was really my introduction to it. Um, and so when I got intro to Ethereum, also through my dad, uh, and I realized that some of the cap- Capabilities and power smart contracts could have in automating. I said hey, this is there's a huge opportunity and application here within the entertainment space So, you know automating royalty payments and and license that all that stuff is um, Old expensive and cumbersome. This is the future. And so I spent a little bit of time working on um, Kind of a just a beta with a friend. We, we went out and did that for a little bit okay. but I realized early on that this space is of, it's a challenging space to operate really successfully in in this in the sense that you need to be a Expert in a lot of different disciplines, so right uh, obviously computer science, but there's economics. There's there's game theory um, There's psychology. There's all these different you know skill sets that are really important to have um, That I realize that I can do a little bit on but I don't have the, that sort of wide breadth of, of skills and so um, you know the the life ID opportunity I had been you know, part of since the inception, as, I, as you mentioned earlier. And so it was really great because we built up a team of really smart people who can, you know, fill those gaps where I definitely don't have those strengths. So I realized that identity uh, is the most important thing in the sense that it absolutely touches everyone and everything. And so the opportunity is incredibly wide in that capacity. So I'm really excited to be a part of it. I think it's going to make a big impact on the world. I think that there's a lot of uh, exciting change that's happening. You mentioned the the hyper change of the blockchain space, which is certainly true, and and it keeps everybody on their toes, especially me. So it's a good time, man. It's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. Awesome. Thanks for that background. So, I mean, you kind of hinted at it. There's something that your your life ID has to do with identification, obviously the ID portion of the name. Um, But Connie, can you expand on it? What is it? How do people use it? What's the goal?
1: Yep, yep, absolutely. So we are a protocol um, to facilitate this this term called self-sovereign identity. And so this is kind of a buzzword in the identification space right now. Um, Really all that means to me and you are, you know, users at the end of the day is user-owned and user-controlled identity. So instead of going to Facebook and creating a username and a password with them and they're going to hold all your data and then they can monetize it and sell it and do what they do, uh, we oh, so, so, so,
0: so, it's to Cambridge Analytica.
1: Yeah, so <laughs> Cambridge Analytica, Equifax, all of these big case issues that people hear about where there's data exploitation and, you know, central point of failure from an attack standpoint. We, we mitigate and minimize that by flipping the model on its head. So, what we do is we actually allow users to own and control their data. So on kind of a little technical architecture overview there's this thing called a did which is a decentralized identifier and you have a unique one of those for every online transaction and all that really means for users is that it's great because it means no usernames or passwords uh, it means it's really easy to get into a building for example so you don't need a physical card key you could just use you know wireless protocols with a with a iOS or an Android device okay so What it means for users is they can reclaim all of that data and that ownership, uh, and they can also enhance the experience of just moving throughout the world because they can get rid of a lot of these things that are fairly cumbersome that they have to use on a day-to-day basis. So everybody hates passwords. That's sort of the case one situation um, or or scenario that we like to talk about. So it's really exciting from that standpoint. Um, But the goal is we want to empower every person in the world to own and manage their identity and... That's a huge deal for a few different reasons. Number one, the model in, you know, sort of the developed world is is really antiquated where we've got large organizations that hold gobs and gobs of data on repos somewhere and they become central points for attack, which is really, you know, a bad idea. Yeah. The they call, call that
0: the honeycomb.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so the the other really exciting thing is that there's lots of people throughout the world who don't have access to identification. Um, and so because of that, they can't get things like banks and, um, you know, refugees have this problem. Oh, yeah, that's a, huge,
0: that's a huge issue, obviously. You know, yeah. in, in, we're seeing that in, in Europe or in the Middle East with people from Syria. We're seeing that in the U.S. with people um, from, you know, El Salvador, you name it. Um, so, no, that's awesome. If, if you could have a way where people could identify um, themselves across borders, um, particularly when they come from places that, don't have as more much of an organized structure, uh, that yeah. that could be a game changer for sure. Totally,
1: totally. So anyway, in a nutshell, that's what we're doing so. It's a fun project. Everything's going to be open source, so it's an open source uh, protocol that is a tokenized protocol, uh, and it's and it's actually owned and managed by identity holders. So people that actually you know are staked on the network, if you want to think about it like that, uh, they they have skin in the game and they can control what what happens and what gets done. So it's a very um, it's very much totally uh, you know polarized to a facebook type model for identification
0: that's pretty cool now i guess um is the model for the people that want so obviously you have the people that have the identity cool But the people that are actually checking the identity so whether it's a website that allows you to buy something a bank uh f- a physical location whatever do are they do they have like some sort of like api that they're tapping into that kind of allows the person to kind of put up their phone or do something with with the i don't know i don't know if it's bluetooth or or um something like that and then they tap into your database to check if the person is who he or she says that they are
1: absolutely so you, you touched on a couple of different things here uh which was really great so two important there's three um, there's two things there's three there's three sort of uh people or organizations that are involved in that verification process. So the way that it's architected is uh, there are things called issuers. So those that issue what is referred to as a verified claim and a verified claim can be thought of as a cryptographically secured checkmark about some aspect to who you are. So maybe let's just say you have a driver's license from the DMV. Um, Boom, I have I am allowed to drive, but I could show that to someone without needing to show my age. The really common example in the U.S. is a secured check mark. You're over 21, so you could give that and say, "Hey, I'm old enough to buy alcohol, but you don't have to see that I'm, you know, X age, driving away this much, or I live at this address." And so it can right. minimize data from that standpoint. But the other people that are involved, the parties involved, are um, aside from the issuers, there's the verifiers. So those are organizations who say, "Yep, yeah, this," they attest to some type of information, say this is the case. And then there's those that actually hold it. So, in in you know perfect world five years down the road the Washington State DMV could issue me a verified claim that says I'm over 21 and if I want to go buy alcohol from you know Wine library online or whatever I can just show that verified claim and I don't have to actually disclose more information so it can help reduce some of the uh, data transfer that we actually you, you know we would typically send because for the majority of business transactions it's not actually relevant right if I'm trying to buy alcohol online they don't necessarily need to know how much i weigh or what my eye color are it's not relevant to the transaction and so uh, we can minimize that but you know in regards to the other aspect of how do you get this in the hands of people so the the identification protocol or the id protocol is one aspect of it and that's a system of smart contracts that's on chain but the way that we actually get scale is through having more of a platform with you know apis and sdks that allow for existing businesses to tie into that protocol and actually leverage what we're building Got it. um and so you know part of our business model is we will spend time doing that those types of integrations for for folks but we're building lots and lots of what's referred to as web two O bridges so things like open id connect bridges which is you know very common um you know it's, like when, I, it's, like, it's
0: like when i use facebook login to my app
1: Exactly. That's exactly like what it is. So we can provide that for folks, and it's super convenient and really easy. Um, But 100%, that's exactly what it's like.
0: Cool, cool. That's awesome. That's awesome, man. It sounds like a huge need. I, I like the way that you said, like, you know, hey, you could, you could, Verify certain parts that are pertinent to what your service. So, like maybe you only want to know my age or my location, but you don't need to know all that stuff. I could see it for you know maybe people might be a member of a certain group. Like maybe it's a a woman that lives by herself and doesn't want you know to to say that you know their you know their address or whatever, but they want to be able to buy what they want or or what have you. So that's pretty cool that you could kind of uh, isolate the different attributes of somebody's identity, um, I guess personal information. Um, right. Pretty cool, man. Awesome. All right. So I guess, would you, I mean, there's, there's, I've never heard about a project that's exactly like yours, but I've heard of different projects that are trying to attack identity from different aspects. Um, yeah. Like one project is, is is Civic. That one's relatively popular. Would yep. you consider them a competitor or or or, 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 or kind of how do, how do you guys look at some of the other people in the space that are, are somewhat looking at similar, uh, I would say, yeah. use cases?
1: yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so this is obviously something that gets brought up a lot and and the most common um, identity blo- blockchain identity company that gets brought up is is more is mostly civic.. Yep. And um, we actually it's funny we actually had a conversation with them uh, probably three weeks ago at this point. and it's funny because we don't actually view them as competitive in all sense. There are uh, absolutely aspects of what they're doing that are competitive. Um, One of the biggest differentiating factors between us and them is the self-sovereign piece. And so we, in that case, are more closely aligned to Uport or a company called Sovereign, um, who are also fairly prominent. So Uport is the uh, Ethereum-specific identity solution. It's a self-sovereign identity solution that is for the Ethereum network. Um, They're part of the EEA and all that other kind of good stuff. And then Sovereign is another one who is they're obviously a self-sovereign identity um, platform. The biggest difference between Uport and Sovereign that we typically allude to from a differentiation standpoint is that Uport is an Ethereum specific. We are um, a platform agnostic, so we will have smart contracts on all smart contract capable chains. So obviously that's a prototype for Ethereum at this point, um, but we are working really closely with a pro- or with a platform called R-Chain, If you've if you've heard of them, they're um, they're building a proof-of-stake network with Vlad Zamfir, who's also on the Ethereum Foundation, um, implementing Casper and all this other kind of good stuff. So they're hitting it out of the park. We hope to mostly sort of rest on that chain. But we will be agnostic and have smart contracts elsewhere. So Cardano, for example, um, when it's available, EOS potentially at some point. So we're looking at how we can ensure if there are people transacting their identity in other areas, we need to be able to facilitate that. So we're ensuring that that's a key part of our architecture, and that is not really something that's going on in Uport because they are Ethereum-specific. The other difference between us and a company like Sovereign is that they run the, – the node – validators are ran by companies like ibm and t-mobile for example and so they have what are referred to as stewards on the network that actually run these transactions and we we think of that as sort of shades of gray from a centralized model right. uh, in the sense that when you are picking the folks who are actually running these transactions um it's not a permissionless system and so one of the beauties about what we're doing is that it's run on the it's run on an open network and right now, it's challenging from a cost perspective because it's prohibitive from doing it on Ethereum. But working with these, you know, Gen 3 protocol or these Gen 3 blockchains like Archain or um, others will allow us to actually do this on a permissionless public, on permissionless public infrastructure because that is integral to the self-sovereign approach, where it's not owned by anybody; it's just out there in the world, um, and and the participants of the network actually get to control what happens. So those are those two projects are more closely aligned to what we're doing, but there's some really important differentiating factors that we think will help us be successful in the marketplace. Um, and you know, we're really leveraging those details as points of, uh, differentiation that we can use to go out and, and be successful. So, um, but yeah, it's, there are people trying to tackle this problem. I'm not going to say it isn't a crowded space. Uh, but I think what we're doing is novel and unique and, and, I think it'll help us be successful.
0: So no, no, I love it. I think you know we're 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 in we're in a very the early days of this space. So there's <sighs> there's room for many, many, um, many folks to kind of attack things in, at a different angle. Um, yeah, and it seems like what you guys are doing is pretty unique, especially the 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 the, the way that you can kind of work a, across protocols. Uh, I've never really heard about that. And so that's that's super interesting because like right now you know what you see in this market is, it- is just a bunch of protocols that are battling against each other. That's what that's what all the you know the different market caps are right. These are just different protocols that right. people are betting on. Um, I guess going back to but your your main token will be ERC twenty. Is that correct? Um.
1: Not necessarily. So we are working, as I mentioned, really closely with our chain. And okay. so the ideal goal is our mainnet launch will go out when theirs does. Okay. Uh, so the timing of that is still kind of up in the air. I'm, they, they're saying end of the year. We're really hoping that that is the case. Um, but as you know, architecting and building this stuff out, there's always variables that you know you just can't account for. Um, and so... Ideally, we will go on our chain, and so in that case, it actually won't be an ERC20 token. Uh, however, if they don't hit their timelines and we're ready to go prior to that, then it will be an ERC20 token. So the the the, the short answer is not necessarily, but it's a bit of a timing issue or challenge that we don't have full control over. So sure. our goal is we're really gearing for you know the very like January 19 for our mainnet launch. We'll have the testnet coming out in a few months here. Uh, and so the goal is, you know, by that point, we will have the the token situation figured out and we'll have a little bit of a better idea of, you know, will our chain be ready? Because as I mentioned before, we really need that open, permissionless public infrastructure that, uh, you know, that cannot be so cost prohibitive that it just doesn't work and it doesn't, you know, succeed in the marketplace. So uh, we'll see. But that's the short answer.
0: No, no, I love it. I love it. That's pretty cool. And, and uh yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess it's it's, it's 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 definitely good to collaborate, but sometimes it could be a little, slightly frustrating to have some of your um, schedule kind of dependent on a third party. Um, but if they, based on what you described, their 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 technology is definitely worth it, um, particularly yeah. being able to work across platforms. So um, that's awesome. That's awesome. Love to you know definitely want to keep a, keep up with how that how that move forward. Um, cool. And I guess one thing you know, I think your platform is called like a foundation. Is that does that make you a nonprofit or is that just kind of more of a naming structure?
1: Yeah, no, so so all of the open source or so all of the code in general and all of the, the token issuance and whatnot will happen from our Life ID Foundation. So it's a it is a nonprofit, uh, which is really great because it allows us to essentially have short term governance until it does become more of a, you know, DAO, I don't use the word DAO, but more of a you know user controlled, user owned platform. And so there – what's great about that is that there are no really financial incentives from the organization side to actually monetize the protocol. There is a little bit of that – from a transaction cost standpoint, there's a little bit of that that does go to the foundation just to help kind of keep things running for the short term. Um, But then there is – we do have a, a separate organization set up that is going to do all, a lot of the development as well as integration for companies. So it could be considered just a professional services arm at that standpoint um, or at that point when we have lots of integration coming in. So um, the, all the source code and all that kind of good stuff will live on the foundation side. And then there's another entity set up that will do actual integration and development on behalf of the foundation. So that's kind of a weird structure, but, you know, some of the, legalities in the u.s make it so that we have to really do it that way which is fine um but it, there's definitely an incentive to having it or a benefit to having the actual you know protocol live on a in a non-profit entity
0: i like it i like it that's pretty cool yeah, yeah i could, I can could understand i think a lot of a lot of projects have to do some unique structures to kind of get around or not to get around but work with the current um regulatory landscape which quite frankly is not the most transparent as of yet um, so I, hopefully, that changes soon.
1: Yeah, I, it's challenging, man. Honestly, we spend we spend a lot of money on legal services, which is, you know, it is what it is. It would be awesome if we could allocate that money to actually building what we're doing. Um, so we'll see. I, you know, I'm optimistic the government's gonna kind of figure out how they want to approach the space. Obviously, we've had things come out in more recent months with. Saying Bitcoin's obviously not security. I don't know why anybody ever thought of that from the beginning. And then with Ethereum. And so, you know, it sounds like they they just put someone in the SEC who's specifically looking at, um, you know, this market. So I I hope that we get some clarification soon. Um, It's something that is definitely, it can be prohibitive for folks who are trying to build really successful and really great projects. So not, you know, having that as a, overhanging kind of overbearing kind of a concern it's not good for anybody so getting clarification would be very very valuable especially for for folks like us who are trying to do this technology stuff we want to we need to know what we're working with from a legal landscape standpoint
0: oh totally totally pretty cool man awesome well you know I think yeah, that, that that's a super awesome, super awesome project. Sounds like you have a strong team and you're kind of attacking a huge problem. So, thanks for giving us all that, all that, all that background. But obviously, you know, you being in the space, you 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 know, you're pretty well networked. I don't know if you invest or you just follow space other projects. Um, you know, just from like a, a, a you know a industry perspective. But are there any other projects that you know you find pretty interesting?
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, I I brought them up. A- bit, but I think that the Chain Project in particular is incredibly fascinating, and the reason is because it addresses all of the concerns that theorem currently can't. I know there's other people do, trying to do similar or the same type of thing, but it's ran by really, really brilliant people. I mean, the guy that he, that sort of architected this whole thing, his name's Greg Meredith, um, he's a brilliant mathematician, he created this derivation of Lambda Calculus,
0: sure. uh, which is
1: called pi calculus which is actually what our chain is based off of okay so it's how it's one of the ways that they can address the scale and the throughput concerns that um are needed so i mean it's ran by really really
0: smart people and the thing that i like where where are they based by the way
1: they're they're also located out of um the, the seattle uh area so okay they're, they're actually in Redmond, which is uh, kind of cool. It's right by Microsoft. Yeah, I um, think that's
0: where Nintendo, well, Nintendo's U.S. offices were. I remember Redmond and all my cartridges. I always remember that town because they were, yep. you know, all my cartridges as a kid had Redmond yep. Washington on it.
1: That's, uh, it's a pretty, it's a hub, man. There's Microsoft there. That's the biggest company, I, I think, that is in that area. And then uh, then Nintendo has offices there as well. But the thing that I like the most about the R-Chain guys is that they are, they're not focused on the hype of, Of just crypto in general you know a lot of what what appears to me is that there's a lot of projects and people in the space that it's a lot of sizzle but not a lot of steak and the thing about our chain that's really cool is that it's all steak and very little sizzle and so they could absolutely go out and do tons and tons of just hype around what their the project is but they're focused really on building great technology Um, and To me, that's a great sign because it shows that their priorities are actually trying to change the world in what they're doing um, and and not just go out and just be a marketing company that has a token involved. So it's very reassuring and it makes working with them incredibly exciting and just a lot of fun because it's smart people trying to do great stuff. In addition to that, though, they have a really great structure. So they have two venture funds, one of which funded us. Oh, great. uh, and so it's awesome that they're seeding a lot of these companies throughout the world but in seattle as well So they're building this ecosystem. They're getting entrepreneurs funded without necessarily needing to go down the you know The token sale route. So it's just it's just a really well organized well-run project. They're set up as a co-op uh, Which is really cool. Um, but yeah all around just great people. there. Uh, really smart and they're making good stuff happen. So i'm extremely excited about their potential obviously we're working closely with them and really hinging some of our success on their ability to execute but i think they're going to get there because they've been hitting all the milestones and deliverables over the last i don't know six to twelve months that i've been closely involved so it's a good it's a good sign
0: yeah and obviously given that fact that they invested in you their their incentives are aligned right so if you win they win so that's the best 100%. way to structure it hundred percent awesome, man. well, thank you I'm definitely gonna check out our chain as as well once once we finish this episode. um, cool. well, you know obviously you're a very busy man. um you know I know it's uh it's it's the morning time where you are, and it's it's the end of of a pre holiday week in the u s so Friday is very oh, yeah. important. Um, so I don't want to keep you here for too long. So, how can people find out about um, Life ID? How people can how can people find you if they want to get in touch and, and find out more about you and your project?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. So, uh, we we post a lot of our kind of updates on our Twitter account. So it's just Life ID underscore io, I believe. Um, so we've got medium posts that come out frequently. The other place would be our website, Life where you can check out some of the articles we have posted, our white papers there um, et cetera, et cetera. Best place to connect with me is on LinkedIn. I, I don't really use any social media, but I do use my LinkedIn. Yeah. Um, so it's just Tyler Bosco. If you go on and look, it'll say COO of life ID. So that's me. Um, yeah, that's cool. I got a black and white photo on there with a gray sweater. The people yeah. Do more, uh, yeah. Well, more well uh,
0: I'll, li- I'll definitely link to your profile, um, on the show notes. So people will know exactly where they kind of go. Um, cool. Awesome. Well, thank you, Tyler. Um, this is great. I learned a ton. Um, and, uh, you know, I want you to enjoy the rest of your day and, and I appreciate you taking the time to speak to me as well as our audience.
1: Fritz, likewise, man. Really appreciate you having me on. I hope this was valuable for you and the audience. I'm, I'm super excited and, and really appreciate the time. Awesome. Huh. Awesome, man. More money. <laughs> yeah. More money. Blow money. Show money. Party money. Side
0: money. Money, new clothes, money from that I wrote. Money, so much money, I don't know who stole from me. Hard to keep track.